even a year of doing this on the road doing this sport just takes it out of you. It's very much instinct-led as well, where one has to anticipate what is the next thing that might happen, and to get the shot, is you know you need to always think two steps ahead. It's just knowing when to pick up the camera, when to put it down, when to not even have it with you. I'm Krista Smith, and you're listening to Behind the Wheel, a Drive to Survive miniseries. Welcome back. Here on Skip Intro, we're taking a look at just how the team at Box to Box Films crafts each season, episode, and moment of the show. You'll be hearing from producer Paul Martin and broadcaster Will Buxton again, as well as meeting director Martin Webb and cinematographer Jean-Louis Schuller. This episode is going to answer so many of the questions I've had while watching Drive to Survive, starting with how Paul Martin built the exceptional team that captures each season. You know, I think for the first four years, we pretty much had the same crew. You know, we had a lot of people that came back kind of year after year, particularly on the on the ground, on the production side. And and I think it's just, you know, there's, there's something really addictive about the sport and there's something really addictive about going to the races and, and, and being part of it. And I think that, you know, you see that in the kind of the, the Formula One teams. You see a lot of people that, you know, just do it year after year after year and it's a grind and it's really hard, but there's just something intoxicating about the sport that brings people back. And I think we were we were incredibly fortunate that we, you know, we had a, we had a pretty much the the core of our team came back for for about four seasons and we've been really fortunate with with the teams you know that they they were able to forge these relationships with the drivers and the team principals because James and I we can't be at every race now year one I think I went to 15 or 16 races same in year two and our business and our lives have, have changed and and it means you know you can't go to as many races as as perhaps we'd want to or, or we can. And so you're, you're reliant on finding good people that can kind of pick up those relationships and continue to get the best out of the drivers and the team principals and the people that work on it because it's all about those relationships. If Christian's not feeling the producer or the director that, that he's with, he's not going to give you, he's not going to give you the stuff that you need. So how we kind of deploy our teams and the relationships that we kind of have around the planet are really the key to the whole show. One of the directors who built a strong relationship with Red Bull team principal Christian Horner was Martin Webb. Hi, I'm Martin Webb. I'm a producer director for Drive to Survive. Martin was a fan of the work that the award-winning producers James and Paul had been creating, and he interviewed for the position without even knowing that the project would be based around Formula One. As a documentary filmmaker with a footprint grounded in social justice, Martin immediately began to ideate on how he and his fellow directors and producers could bring out the human vulnerability within the sport. So I'd never made a sports documentary ever. You know, I'd come from human rights films, social justice films, true crime. Yeah, I just made films about people. Really, And all of us that, that made the show in season one, that started making the show, it all kind of had similar backgrounds, really. So that's kind of how we talked about it. We were just, we're just like documentary filmmakers. So we're just interested in the human beings, the human experience. You know, we didn't really care about the, the sport so much. I think that, you know, there's a lot of 
sort of sports broadcasting around around the sport already and it, it was kind of like missing the point we sort of felt what you need to do is really get inside that helmet you need to understand what these people think understand what they feel understand their hopes their dreams their fears and kind of like learn all of that before the race so that when they put the helmet on and they jump in that rocket ship and fly to Mars, you care, basically. Martin joined the other directors in the first year of Drive to Survive, and with eight teams on board to be filmed, the directors each took two teams to cover throughout the racing season. Martin was assigned to Red Bull and Renault. For those of you listening who've already devoured season one, you'll know that Martin would soon find himself following the center of the season's anchoring drama. For a quick recap, Because Red Bull isn't a manufacturer of engines, they need an outside supplier, and for years, their partnership was with Renault. In 2018, Horner and the Red Bull team made the decision to switch to Honda as their supplier, leaving behind Renault and causing tension with the Renault team principal, Cyril Abitbull. The other dominant storyline for Martin to chase during season one was of Red Bull driver Daniel Ricciardo. All right, am I good to, like, sit? Yeah. All right, I'm good to go. Are you happy with your hair? I don't know, I haven't seen it. Probably, if you've asked me, then it must look shit. Am I looking at you or down the lens? Awesome. Can I get you to tell me who you are and what you do for a job? I'm Daniel Ricciardo and I'm a car mechanic. (laughs) All righty, I got this. I'm going to nail it. Three, two, one. I am Daniel Ricciardo. I was born in Perth, Australia, and I'm a Formula One driver. Sounds pretty good when I say that. Daniel Ricciardo was born to be an entertainer. He's the first character from the Formula One world that we meet in Drive to Survive. And that's certainly not an accident. He exudes a confidence, wit, and charm that is magnetic for a television audience. You want to spend more time with him on screen. And in season one, you're lucky enough to do exactly that. The 2018 season was rocky for Daniel, as his younger teammate, Max Verstappen, started to challenge him for the top spot at Red Bull. It ultimately led to Daniel looking at options for his future, which Martin Webb captured in season one. You know, he had this huge decision to make. I mean, it was his kind of series, really. It was a great hook the front of the show. You know, Daniel Ricciardo, I've got a big decision to make this year. I mean, that's a, a brilliant mystery box to kind of open up gradually over, over 10 films. The deal with Red Bull, it's all in front of me now. Like, this is it. All i got to do is sign the piece of paper. Okay. <clears throat> what if I just break free and, and make a statement? Red Bull. I've been there since I was 18, I think. Now I have a chance to be an adult and then walk into a team as an adult. Who would have thought that Daniel would end up leaving Red Bull and going to Renault? You know, I was in the middle of it, right in the middle of it. Both sides of that decision, for some reason, they both wanted to talk to me about exactly what was going on. So I was kind of Christian's confidant sometimes, and then I'd be Cyril's confidant. In other times, I've got a real admiration really for all these guys but I, I i really loved filming with christian horner cyril a bit ball is you know a great man as well daniel ricardo we all fell in love with him and you know arguably there 
this show wouldn't be where it is now without him. And I think these guys really, you know, they took a risk. I mean, it's the sport had never, you know, had this type of thing in the past. And there was an incredible amount of secrecy. Effectively, it's built into the, the DNA of the competition. It's it's an arms race. It's a technology race. It's an engineering race. And But the consequence of that is that everybody's super worried about saying anything about anything. Um, so for people like Christian and Daniel to kind of let you in, to sort of be the first ones to let you in, you know, that that means a lot. And I think as a show, we don't like we don't forget that there's many that have come after, but they were kind of the first. The Red Bull versus Renault situation made for great tension on screen. And over the course of future seasons, the Drive to Survive team tapped into other storylines of duels playing out. The competitive nature of any sport lends itself to tension and drama. Drivers leave teams. Teams compete against each other. Smaller teams struggle with funding. Larger teams struggle with having a target on their backs. For the crew, filming these moments... Their job is to remain a fly on the wall and observe as it all transpires. However, following so many people and so many organizations challenges the Drive to Survive team with the task of trying to tell all sides of a story. Broadcaster Will Buxton elaborates. You know, people say, does the series, you know, take sides? Obviously, it's, you know, it's going to always tell one side of a story. It's a fascinating sort of debate to be had about documentaries in general. It's something that we don't ever think about, but it's who, who writes history? Which version of history is the correct version of history? Because every single version of history is someone's version of history. You and I can sit with 10 people around a dinner table. We'll each leave at the end of the night and every single one of us will have a different version of that night's events. If you're a Red Bull fan and you watch Drive to Survive, you might see one episode in a completely different light to a Mercedes fan watching that very same episode. You'll pull different things away from it. And one of you might come out of that episode going, well, that was very anti-Red Bull. But a Mercedes fan might come out of the same episode going, well, that was very pro-Red Bull and very anti-Mercedes. You know, it, that's just, it's just, that's humanity. That's, that, you know, we, we always see things through our own lens. But what I think Box to Box do very well and have done throughout Drive to Survive, but also when you look at Paul and James Gay Reese and what they've done in the past with Senna or Amy or the Maradona documentary, you know, and I think they do a really good job of weighing up all of the storylines and 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 composing a narrative arc that is that is truthful, but is done in an engaging is is done in an engaging way. Everything's always going to have its detractors, but I, I think what they do and the, and the way in which they do it is, is, is incredible. So one of the great Greek philosophers said that history is best told by the poets. There's a truth to that. Producers James Gay Reese and Paul Martin find the format of Formula One useful in identifying the narrative to develop in the series. You know, you can fairly easily identify the storylines fairly early on. Of course, they change to some extent, but... It's a very small cast of characters, really, when you think about it. There's only 20 drivers and there's only 10 team bosses. And that's, you know, over a 10-episode series, you know, they're kind of, they're all quite prominent. So you can kind of sort of read the weather fairly early on and kind of think, I mean, you start, you start placing bets, thinking, well, that might happen, so let's kind of keep an eye on that, and that might happen, so let's keep an eye on that. Those two drivers 
probably won't get on that well because they've got they used to go kart with each other and they never liked each other and now they're teammates so you know you can start to place fairly well educated bets in various places and i have to say the beauty of the series is actually that the teams are pretty open with us now so they'll be you know they're fairly straightforward and you know they'll tell us where they're at and even sometimes share their hopes and dreams a little bit more than you expect you know our edit typically start I don't know, April, kind of May of a season, we, we, we're starting to pull footage and look at footage and construct those kind of early episodes. And then the final, then we get to kind of the summer and we feel really good about ourselves and we feel like we've cracked it. And then post summer, we panic and realise that we've not come anywhere close and it just becomes this real push to the end where you really are just looking and really kind of honing those stories. So it, that's sort of the general trajectory of the edit of, of the show. But it's also you know, it's very difficult to, it's very difficult to fully end episodes when you don't know the full resolution of, of some of the seasons. So sometimes things that happen in Abu Dhabi can bizarrely have an impact on your episode one because it, you know, your payoff or your setup may be slightly askew to, to kind of what's happened. So we constantly have to keep these episodes pretty much open until kind of late in the year so that we can then make sure that they're a fair representation of, of how the how the season's panned out. While the producers are planning the structure, pacing and tone of Drive to Survive, the crew who are on the ground encounter a very different slate of challenges. My name is uh, Jean-Louis. They call me JL on uh, Drive to Survive. I'm the director of photography, DOP. And I've been uh, working on the show since uh, season one. Box to Box uh, got in touch to me back in 2018. A friend of mine introduced me to them as I was, um, I shot a sports film about the Tour de France cycling in 2011, which they loved very much. The style, how it was, you know, approached, handheld, fly on the wall of a sports event. And that's how they got in touch. I went for an interview and they hired me on the day yeah when race day comes that's the best day of the week all right you're okay ready to check copy loud and clear just moments to go before the start of the australian grand prix your adrenaline gets pumping you get excited because that day actually quite a lot happens so we usually have one dop and then we have between as little as two to maybe five or six self-shooters. A self-shooter is what I call, in this case, a director who also shoots with his own camera. It often starts with having a chat with the colleagues, the directors, the, the, the self-shooters, the producers. We talk about different scenarios of storylines that could happen or during that day, because as it's an ever-evolving story, we never really know what's the outcome. And then going around, it's, it's really just a, a matter of communicating. So when there's a crash happening or a car that doesn't work, doesn't start up, we you know const constantly in touch via WhatsApp to then get a team to the place where, where this drama is, is unraveling to capture the moment. Martin Webb is one of those directors finding the moments that make for prime storytelling. And with his experience in documentaries, he knows what is needed to capture the human experience on film. Any sort of documentary 
producer or director will probably say to you that like trust is like the key currency that you have i think the way we work is like it helps like we don't ask questions we don't really get in people's faces we we're very observational in the paddock we try and be like really unobtrusive i think i think i think the characters generally feel that we're kind of different to everyone else there that's kind of how we like it it's a kind of slightly dysfunctional relationship that you have with these people where you kind of need to continually prove that you can be trusted you know with their story with their families with the access that they give and the same is true for all of these all of these people in 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 these worlds i think we try not to sounds weird but like we try not to do too much with them you know their time is so limited away from the sport for them to even give us half a day where they are on their boat or they're on their farm or it's quite a big deal for them we understand that so we we try and make sure that if we do it we're going to use it you know or use some of it we would never just run up to people and film them we would kind of try and just treat them as human beings really and you know say look this is what we're doing would you like to have a chat <laughs> and so it's just this gradual kind of process you know of like explaining what you're doing being pretty honest about it doing it and them kind of like liking it daniel ricardo at the farm the season when covid hit i think that's that was a great moment that i really enjoyed but also i know with the sciences in mallorca <laughs> I've been coming to Mallorca since I'm zero years old. It's very Spanish way just to, to spend the summer break with your cousins, with your uncles, grandparents, your sisters, your family. Here, everyone is totally relaxed. The experience of going to these places and being welcomed by, by the family, to having a ride with science senior Carlos Sainz's father on a jet ski and experiencing speed to filming a great scene on the back of a motorboat the all great moments that I feel just very very privileged to to film and be there when it is at the races but also in this private moments that's a great privilege the openness of the drivers and their families on drive to survive creates the inside access that makes the series different from others in the genre. And at the beginning, that openness was harder to attain, as cinematographer Jean-Louis Schuller explains. The logistic challenges of the show is the secrecy of the sport itself that, that is a big challenge for us. And I think going back to season one, pretty much every door was closed. You know, the sport very much came from a place where under previous management, there was no camera allowed above the ground floor. Nobody was allowed to bring a camera to a landing up to film down somewhere because nobody wanted to be anything seen above a wall. It was really 100% closed doors. And then management changed. They brought along Netflix and the crew. And then it was our job to open these doors slowly and, and get them used to having cameras in their faces and, and in their factories all the time. But still, when, when things get a little hairy, sometimes those doors close again. So 
it's always that that constant work of of reopening these doors and be where where the drama happens. The trust that the crew builds with the athletes is especially critical when sometimes days at the track doesn't see everyone walking away unscathed. One of the most emotionally charged episodes of Drive to Survive comes in season two, when Formula Two driver Antoine Hubert is killed in a crash. Many of the F1 drivers grew up racing with Antoine. For Martin Webb and the crew on the ground, they were faced with a moment where trust meant everything. These are the moments that just, everything stops. You know, the world stops turning in that one moment. It's a leveler, complete leveler. And all of a sudden, all the politics are gone, all the kind of the niggling's gone, everything is just dropped. And it's a kind of a very simple life or death, human kind of moment, you know. We figure out how to do it in the moment. You just do it as respectfully as you can. It's just knowing when to pick up the camera, when to put it down, when to not even have it with you. And like, you know, these guys, they were gonna, the day after it happened, they were all going to get in a car and go and race and go and hit that corner at exactly the same speeds like from the day before. And you're like, wow, these, these guys are so brave. While there have been a few chilling moments to film over the five seasons, there has also been moments of extreme joy and relief. One of the most memorable being the finale of season four, when Max Verstappen and his Red Bull crossed the finish line to win the world championship in the last lap of the race. It was the kind of ending written in fiction. But here it was playing out in the real world, captured by the Drive to Survive team. Jean-Louis remembers the night fondly. I mean, that was that was just gripping to be there filming. When you live day in, day out with these drivers and these team principals and the teams, you, you really have, you feel for them as well a lot more. And, and you know, it's almost like you're part of that team and, and just seeing it come so close to the wire, it was just like an incredible experience where when Max won, I mean, I, I wasn't supporting one or the other more. It was just like, I also felt overcome with emotions. Uh, filming another person crying it, it was just like there was no way getting not emotional about that moment it, it was just incredible for martin webb those final laps of 2021 were spent filming red bull's christian horner as he watched his driver take home the win the win <laughs> that final lap of season four was a huge moment for like max obviously but the character that I've been following really intensely for four years has been Christian Horner. And his journey and my journey with him contextualized in a singular kind of moment. <laughs> you know, I was there next to him on the pit wall on that final lap. I kind of had a camera, a GoPro camera on his face, and then I was just right behind with my camera. He turns around when Max wins it and he just loses it. He completely breaks down. Christian Horner, OBE, blubbering human being. The moment completely takes control. And, you know, it's like an incredibly private moment, actually. But it's happening on the global stage, the biggest, the biggest public moment possible. 
I, I, I kind of can't ask for much more than that as a, as a filmmaker and to go on a journey with a character. And like he's been saying, he's going to do this for four years. He says it every year. It never happens. Right? But now it's happened. And, you know, he went off and the celebrations went mad. The, there was champagne all over him. And this is this is part of it, right? No one knows this, okay? But like he Christian wears a radio mic for us, for me, like a lot. You know, it's part of the technical requirement for how we shoot. Yeah. But a lot of these guys don't really want to wear it. They put it down, they take it off, they put it on, they you know, because it's it's quite invasive. Yeah. Well, Christian's really good with it. Okay. But like in that moment, he got plastered with champagne. Yeah. And he knew that the mic was nearly, it was going to be killed. Right? The first thing he did in that moment, and he's supposed to go to the podium. Right? The first thing he did was he came back to his office with me and we swapped the mics. That process of like trust and talking and, and him understand, understanding what it is and how important it is. And, but I think most, you know, most in that moment, like for him to be willing to do that is a real yeah that's that means a lot to me the end of season four showed viewers max's first world championship but the season also aired two months after the race took place for the crossover fans who watch both the regular racing season live and then watch drive to survive a few months after the season ends there may have not been the suspense of who would win the championship but as Will Buxton explains, there's plenty to be found in Drive to Survive for diehard F1 fans. I think I get the same joy of watching it as as anybody else because I don't know what the episodes are going to be. I have not seen the behind-the-scenes clips that are being put into the, the episodes. I've just sat down five times a year, been asked questions and given my opinion on, on what's been going on for the year. So I haven't seen anything that is in the episodes. So even though, yeah, I travel the world with Formula One, I go to all the races, I'm there. I'm not in those meetings. I'm not, you know, behind the scenes getting the those those little snippets that that box to box are somehow able to get for Netflix. And so there are in every series and in every episode, there are moments that make me sit up and say, Whoa, because maybe you heard a rumor that this thing had happened or you got a feeling that maybe something was off with a certain somebody on a certain weekend. And then when you see it for real, oh, my God, OK, right, that's why that happened. And that really did happen. And, you know, all the little rumors and all the little things you'd been piecing together, they everything suddenly starts to fire and starts to click. and And it's... I love it. I love watching it. With the 2023 race year already underway, I can't wait to see what unseen moments we get next year for the sixth season of Drive to Survive. In tomorrow's episode of our series, we will wrap up by taking a look at the impact that Drive to Survive has had on the sport and the fandom. We speak once more with Paul Martin, James Gay Reese, and Will Buxton. And welcome Kate Lazat and Nicole Sievers, hosts of the podcast, Two Girls, One Formula. Next time on Behind the Wheel, a Drive to Survive miniseries. This series has taken us to places and, and put us in situations which, unless we were employed by the teams, 
and been in those debriefs, we've we've never seen those moments. But I think when James and I got down to Austin, you could sense that, that it was just different. So it just makes sense that if Formula One wants to make more money and get more fans, have more sponsors, America is the place that you have to be because we are very willing to spend that money. I think this sort of gone way beyond anybody's expectations, I think probably. I always thought that to get to have one or two proper hits in your life, that's good enough for any producer. So to have a couple is just, you know, it's incredibly rewarding.